she's always been the type of person that just says things and she just speaks her mind. I guess that has a little bit to do with not having a formal education. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Body Serve. I'm James. And I'm Jonathan. And this is episode 63, and basically our real season finale. Not basically, it is. Well, I was saying basic because you're basic. You. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, you've had almost 10 years of basicness, so what does that say about <laughs> you? We've had two exhaustive, extensive recaps of the tennis season or previous two episodes the first documented january through the french open and then post french open to the end of the season if you're able to make it through all two hours and 40 minutes of those episodes we thank you <laughs> we know it was a slog it was we a slog for you. us yeah and uh guess what there's more well you made it to the more fun part of the recap series because we're getting messy this episode like messier than normal yeah <laughs> well the title of the episode is going to be called messy as fuck well messy af right because we don't want to offend our more what's the word proper listeners <laughs> we managed to get f the letter f into all three of the the season finale of the recap episodes mm -hmm. Why don't you give the listeners a rundown of what the episode is going to look like in terms of segments? Okay, so we're going to begin with just going over a few messy, messy episodes in a, quite a messy year in tennis. We're going to talk about Jonathan's uh, Grand Slam rankings, which is a feature that's going to appear on sportscribe.ca shortly. Yes. So just a little plug, but also a, kind of a discussion about it. I'm going to take a quiz which I have not studied for. You were given the option. I actually gave you the chance right. to cheat for a little bit. And you're like, no, no, I no thing. I like surprises. I don't believe in cheating. What what you see is what you get. We're going to talk about a few uh, our predictions for breakout players in the coming season. And we're going to shout out a lot of our loyal listeners. And then finally, we're going to take you back to the 90s for a see what had happened was because we haven't done that segment for a while. And when we started that segment, we said, well, it didn't always have to be something that just happened. Sometimes we're just going to reach into the vault of tennis and pick out something messy, which is in keeping with the tenor of this episode, and talk about it. All right, so let's get on with it. At the risk of overusing the word messy, let's talk about a few rather trying moments of 2016. Where would you like to start? That night in March, when... And I did a little piece about it at the time where tennis Twitter went off. It just kept exploding all night. Yeah, and so we'll link to that with the episode. But Nicole Gibbs was going off about equal prize money in tennis. And then, of course, the usual trolls had to be coming out and give their two cents. Sergei Stakovsky was very active that night. Yeah, the thing is, in tennis, the usual trolls are actually professional tennis players, <laughs> rather than anonymous Twitter people. 
So Nicole was, you know, she had her notebook out. She had her calculator out. She was giving you some statistics. Some Stanford realness. Right. About first round withdrawals. Maybe she created a little Excel spreadsheet. I don't know. (laughs) But she came with her facts, right? And there's Stakowski. There's a few other male players who are ready to just tell her she's wrong. Tennis in front of everybody. Right. Which, how do you end up with the name tennis as a tennis player? That had to have been designed, right? By your parents? Well, there is a Y in it. Oh, well, I'm truthfully not that interested in him to to find out. Right. But it just just came to mind. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it rhymes with Denise. Oh, my God. Denise, I don't know. The highlight of that night was Andy Murray popping up. And mind you, Andy Murray has won Wimbledon. He's won the Olympics. He's become the new world number one. And none of those events got him to pick up his phone and go to Twitter on his mobile. But Sergei Stakovsky drew him out that night. (laughs) And he hasn't tweeted. His last tweet was about Marcus Willis at Wimbledon. And Okay, so that's going on nearly six months. Right. But back in March, Andy Murray just interjected himself into this discussion by saying, Stacko, my man, how's things? Which is the most amazing intro <laughs> to then clobber somebody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because he then went on to just give it to him. First of all, he tore down this stupid analogy that Stakowski made about Ivy League universities and how people who graduate from there should expect to be higher earners than just a regular old university. And... Just silly, stupid crap. Or that time when he tried to bring in attendance and Andy was like, "Uh, dude, I was at that match in Kiev when we played Davis Cup and there weren't more than a hundred or a thousand people there. Mm -hmm. So don't come with that. And then Stakowski tried to get Laura Robson to come to Kiev and she's like, um, how did I get involved? Like, I'm watching Netflix over here. Can you just (laughs) like leave me out of this? And Nicole Gibbs is doing her popcorn gif, like sitting here watching Stacco and Murray like this. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Nicole Gibbs is that people like to, well, men like to complain that she's always got something to say, that she's not backing up her sort of politics with great results on court, blah, blah, blah. But neither is Stakowski. Well, right. It's, it's not easy to be that person. No. Who is trying to fight the good fight because I know from experience that we know that it's easier just to kind of disengage because it's very emotionally taxing to be that person who suffers abuse, who has to constantly offer these counter arguments and it's easier just to shut up and go on with your life. Because then you become that person who's known as that person right and you're angry i've seen and had personal conversations with people who degrade people who are doing meaningful work by saying oh they that's just all they talk about they go too far they need to you know talk about something else Mm -hmm. when these people are in fact talking about things that are in the best interest of the person who is putting them down right not i'm not calling any names even though this is the messy episode (laughs) we're not messy (laughs) The rest of tennis is. Sometimes. We, we are actually like prepubescent girls, apparently. I know, oh my Because God, we yes. got another lovely review from Australia again. I have to say, I I do like the negative reviews. It was, a, it was not 
that negative. It was two out of five stars, which, mm-hmm. hey, you still gave a star. Yeah, they were like, the, the tennis coverage is pretty good. However, you're a bunch of queers <laughs> who sound like little bitches. Well, listen. That's exactly... No, listen. Yeah. Because I will take the criticism. And honestly, like, if you don't like the podcast, that's okay. Yeah. Because it's not for everyone. The, and the criticism, if it's constructive, is welcomed. Right. But as soon as you say something that I interpret as clearly homophobic and misogynistic, like I'm not going to listen to the criticism anymore. And also when that criticism bleeds straight white male, I'm sorry, this podcast is probably not for you. Like We're not making this podcast for straight white men. Because like, those are out there if, if you want yeah. them. Like, <laughs> and uh, if we have straight white if we have straight white male listeners, we love that you listen to us. We totally. wel- we welcome Hell, you. Hell, I used to be one. But like you have 95% of the pie. This podcast is for the other 5%. Mm-hmm. And you know what? <laughs> Pubescent girls are hilarious. So <laughs> I'm happy to be in that company. <laughs> <laughs> to get back to the the messy Twitter business, right? Ryan Harrison is doing the most of everybody and has been doing the most all year and in this time where we live in a pre-trumpian presidency Mm -hmm. ryan harrison is feeling himself and he's now telling people what you still mad about the election results Mm -hmm. (laughs) being all glib and smug about it it's ugh. and so he got into this whole thing with a few well-known tennis twitter handles i would say right familiar ones but then this one young woman Celeste, her handle is at triple break point. She unhinged her jaw and <laughs> swallowed him whole because she had a uh, quote tweeted something Ryan Harrison said. He with that same business where he said, You still crying over the election? He said that to somebody. And then Celeste was like, I always knew I hated him for a reason. He sure isn't helping himself. And Ryan, not skipping a beat, says, Oh my god, hey, that's mean. We haven't even met. We could be friends. There's nothing sincere about that. No. Right? Nothing. And then he continues in that vein. Blah, 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 blah. He's inviting them to come to his matches. Oh, if you're ever on tour, come see me. Kind I'll of get thing. you tickets. Right? And Miss Celeste was like, sorry, I don't watch ITFs. <laughs> <laughs> and for all of us who've suffered in silence over the course of the year listening to the Harrisons and the Isners and the Sangrins and the Stakovskys and the Leoviches and all these people throwing low-key shade who don't really want to dip their foot in the water but got something coded to say, Danny Valverdu. <laughs> <laughs> this was such a welcome respite. I do have to make a point of information here we were suffering but not in silence <laughs> no but to your point to your point there we there are certain times where you just feel so overwhelmed that you you don't want to to be a part of it in that moment right right and so for the people who are out there fighting the good fight all the time thank you but for the times that we're just having to take us a, a back seat for our own self-preservation and self-care this is why that felt so good mm. Yeah, here's another thing about Ryan Harrison, and it's stuff that I've heard from Trump supporters recently. Listen, queer people and people of color feel threatened, personally, by this explosion in hate speech, in violence, 
and in rhetoric that Trump espouses, right? So when people say, what are you talking? What? They are shocked that, oh my God, you think I'm against your existence? What are you talking about? I don't get it. It's like the separation from what you support politically and and the idea that that can possibly be separated from your personal life. It's like these people never did reading comprehension in school where you make inferences to get to mm-hmm. certain positions. Things aren't always explicitly stated. You have to read between the lines. But in this case, it's rather explicitly stated. Like you you did vote for someone mm-hmm. who has accepted yeah. the accolades from the Ku Klux Klan, who has hired a famous white supremacist as his chief of staff. Like these are these are true facts. And to not understand that people would feel threatened by that is just silly and stupid. And to then sit there and be glib and smug about it. Like, no. There's there's no joking about this issue mm. for a lot of us, and that's just the way it is. Now, onto something that gave me a little bit more pleasure. When the whole Sharapova thing came about, there were uh, some of her colleagues poking a little fun Maybe expressing a little schadenfreude, if you will. <laughs> and really, the one who made me laugh the most was Yaroslava Shvedova, who said, the tour will become quiet for some time. Like, girl. <laughs> and that was like right when it came out. This is where we have to put a disclaimer that we do not endorse the sentiments behind that tweet. Because there's a lot of coded sexism there um okay which with grunting okay like it's something we've talked about but still funny as hell and because sharapova is threatening to sue everybody out here Mm -hmm. so you know we're going to distance ourselves from that we just need to know that y'all will support or kickstarter if we get sued please please that's all we need to know pay for our legal fees and maybe a trip to the french open right We don't earn money from this podcast, but please protect us from criminal prosecution. (laughs) A messy moment that you really wanted to get into, I think, on the first recap episode, but I had to dial you back a little bit because it's one of your favorite moments of the year. It really is. The Bernard Tomic Nick Kyrgios Davis Cup drama. Oh, my God. I think it's safe to say that Bernard and Nick have a complicated relationship. They're besties again, or real, yes. go- or at least real right. good friends. Maybe they're frenemies. It's a love-hate thing. They really run hot and cold. I'm telling you, I saw them roll up to the Cincy event together in the same SUV. All right. So. So when Nick pulled out of the Davis Cup tie against the U.S. back in March, he cited an injury, and Tomic immediately says publicly, that's bullshit. <laughs> that was a quote. Well, because he had still remained entered in the event the following week. So he's like, well, if you're going to be playing this event, why can't you play Davis Cup, huh? Yes. So he said it was bullshit and that Kyrgios was faking that the injury was not real. That he just didn't feel like playing Davis Cup and he should have said that. So Nick, impulsive as ever, shoots back. Let's not forget who had the quickest loss on ATP Tour, LOL. Which he deleted. He did. But is that, you know, it's always there. Somebody's going to screenshot it, okay? And then somehow, I don't know how, but Ben Rothenberg gets dragged into it because he had tweeted something about the subject. 
And Nick said, Ben Rothenberg, quote, could be the worst writer to exist. Sit the fuck down, mate. <laughs> I mean, like, you can't make this shit up. These Australian men, it's like, what is going to happen next? There seems to be a direct correlation between the behavior of these young Aussie men and our reviews on iTunes. I know. And maybe we maybe they just don't like the way we talk about the Aussie boys. I feel like we've gone to bat for Nick a lot, especially more recently. That was one of the unforeseen moments of my life. Yeah. Or at least we've tried to give it to give like a more complicated picture of it. But I don't know. Well, I should say that Ben was talking about how uh, Leighton Hewitt should have sat out. He played doubles for that tie. And uh, he and John Pierce lost to the Bryan brothers. So Ben said that, you know, maybe it's time for Leighton to step aside and let someone else okay. play. So that's why Nick got protective and, and jumped in. I do want to say, are we finished with the with the Burning Curios thing? Yeah. With the Harrison thing, I'm reminded of somebody who's involved in in tennis, who when the election results happened, said... The thing that I can't get over most is how so many of these American players said to my face that they were voting for Trump for tax purposes, knowing that I'm all these minorities, check them off one by one, mm-hmm. and being told or having already been made aware of what's at stake, right? But it's, right. it's no big deal, because that's where their privilege comes into play, right? All these other isms that we have to deal with on a daily basis that color and inform the way we view the world and the way we feel and emote and interact with this whole election cycle, they're totally above it. Mm -hmm. They operate on a totally different level. And so it's hard to have a one-on-one meaningful come-to-Jesus moment with these people when they have no A, frame of reference, and B, desire to see or care where you're coming from. Right. This is actually my big problem with people criticizing the Democrats' supposed obsession with identity politics, because critics can kind of see this as, oh, you're just playing the race card. You're appealing to these small voting blocks at the expense of the white working class or or more vaguely the working class, which is assumed to be white. No, the white working but, class. <laughs> like, but these are these are actual human beings who have different experiences because of either their gender or their race or their religion. Like these are real experiences of fellow Americans and the other side, so to speak, appealed to identity in a very specific way and much more clearly than Republicans normally do. Which is something that I always through this entire process wondered what it's like for so many of these Americans on the losing end of that election, knowing that they have to go home to say Thanksgiving or or Christmas, knowing that they'll have all these family members that they have to interact with who voted against their family members' interests. Right. Which is something I could not understand. Like, for example, if you have a gay child, how do you vote for Trump? Um, and then look them in the eye. I know, do some do who, I know some who did, so uh, well, I'll, I'll ask them. Well, yes, but like what it seems unfathomable and unthinkable to me just because you think, oh, this businessman is going to be good for for the country. Uh, like these coded ways people speak about Trump that totally gloss over what's really at play here. 
there were a lot of litigious minded folks in 2016 <laughs> there were <laughs> that i yeah we just noticed that actually going through the list of messy moments so number one on my mind is sharapova after her victory tour after her ban was reduced to 15 months which i don't know how to impress upon people that this is still a 15 month ban it's not a win from 24 months to 15 months. Right. It is less, but it is more than zero. Do you see how that works? And it doesn't absolve you of anything, I, really. I don't get it. But anyway, Maria threatened, or well, said she was considering filing suit against the ITF and WADA. She found the ITF was vindictive. And she said that she didn't want to say that she felt targeted, but... Look at the evidence. So it was kind of like she did say she felt targeted. Then we had Rafael Nadal, who thought that the words of French minister Roselyne Bachelot were very, very bad. Very bad. <laughs> so much so that he decided that he was going to sue her ass. Well, he he said he might, right? I but I know there was some kind of call to a lawyer. Okay. I don't know if something's actually... I'm pretty sure something's actually in process right now. Really? I think. Maybe we can get some info from our Spanish listeners, if we have any. But the gist of that is that she had been saying for a while that, oh, that time when Nadal was down with a knee injury. <laughs> right. He feels that he was defamed. And my favorite litigious moment was when... Alizé Cornet at the French Open took exactly 18 medical timeouts in her match against Tatiana Maria. That's not a real figure, no, right? not 18. Okay. <laughs> but the rules were bent. Maybe not broken, but definitely bent. And Maria went on to lose that match. And she was not having any of it. And she was like, you know what? I'm going to sue her. <laughs> because this is crazy. Mm -hmm. Because why not? <laughs> And that stuff will not hold up in a court of law, but damn near everybody on tennis Twitter was urging her to do it because we've all, <laughs> we've all had enough of Cornet's rubbish. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, like in Mean Girls, raise your hand if you've been victimized by Alizé Cornet. <laughs> everybody raise their hand. <laughs> so here's something totally insane. A girls player named Gabriella Taylor was possibly poisoned at Wimbledon with none other than rat urine. Because she turned up with leptospirosis. She had to withdraw from her quarterfinal. Leptospirosis? Our dog has been immunized for that. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> well, I did some reading on this. Sometime in August, there was a police investigation opened into it, right? Because her mother was like, this is crazy. Like, mm. somebody clearly got into her juices and her drinks that are readily available in the locker room and poisoned her. And there was speculation as to whether it was because of some betting syndicate. Okay. Or maybe some crazy fellow competitor <laughs> who wanted to who, derail her. Who Tanya Hardinged her? I read this thing where the supposed medical experts is like, no. The chances of somebody actually doing that and for her... To have been poisoned with rat urine is so remote and unheard of. Okay. But I still haven't heard anything definitive. I did a Google search, a Google News search 
for what was the result of this investigation and I couldn't right. find anything. So in but in July, police actually suspected that she had been poisoned. Mm-hmm. And she spent four days in the ICU, which is like this is very serious. We're not actually joking yeah. about it. Like something weird happened. Another something weird that happened. Robin Haza's coach, Mark DeYoung, is uh, currently on trial for murder, which, you know, I guess uh, doesn't happen every day. In this, tennis. Is, this is a top 100 player. I think he's hovering somewhere around 60 right now. This is not a no-name person. And his coach, somebody in his entourage, is alleged to have stabbed this dude to death because of a gambling debt. Yes. A businessman who apparently had a lot of connections to tennis. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mark de Jong owed him about 67,000 pounds, which is probably about $100,000 in the U.S. That's a lot of money. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll uh, keep you posted. And Hassa as well as... Schiesling, they may both be called to testify in this trial. Mm-hmm. I noticed you glossed over the Dimitrov meltdown in Istanbul. Oh, right. Was that an accident? Well, we did talk a lot about that when it happened. And because we were also happy for Diego Schwartzman getting yeah, his first title. It's still real messy. It's that was truly, uh, I mean, it, it is going to be a career low light. I think it'll be something that people replay when they talk about Dimitrov when all is said and done. Still, and I think we may have mentioned this at the time when it happened, had this been Kyrgios who did that, the backlash would have been much more severe. Oh my god. I be, He would have been hospitalized in that, an institution. That right? would have been all we'd still be talking about Kyrgios at the end of the year. Mm. Granted, he's still given us a lot to talk about. <laughs> right. But I feel like Grigor has been able to to get past that. More so than somebody like Kyrgios yeah. would have been. Granted, Grigor doesn't have the same history, right? It but, was pretty out of character. But it was yeah. a really bad moment. And I think it was clear that he was embarrassed. He did apologize for it after and, you know, congratulated Schwartzman. But it was a real low point for him. And speaking of low points, Benad, <laughs> Benad Tomic. Uh, this is... This is a multi-layered messy moment. <laughs> because on the face of it, you hear... Oh, Tomic says to a fan while on court, suck my balls. I will put my balls in your mouth. I will give you some money to make you feel good. Mm. And you were like... I liked your interpretation of that. (laughs) You're like, well, damn, he really went there because this is, this is just next level shit. Yeah, it's just not cool. But then we come to find out that there was some real dirty heckling going on at the match right so he was provoked Mm -hmm. and the things that were said by this fan the ones that i've the things that i've read if they're to believed are really bad Mm -hmm. this is a point where the umpire has to intervene and that fan needs to be removed immediately the fan was removed but not before bernard got Uh, his say in right (laughs) but i'm not about to accept this business from his defenders who say, well, he was provoked. If somebody's provoked like that, they should be able to push back. Sure, absolutely push back. But you don't get to spew all this rape culture, stripper club, male-dominant bullshit mm. just for fun. I mean, at this point, there's we're not defending him. This is clearly who he is. He's a pig. Obviously. Like, this is not the first time he's spoken like this. And, you know, kind of throwing his money around. And he did about how say to a man is. it wasn't a woman. Okay, but, I mean, he's gross. Like, we know this. Yeah. 
and I'm personally not interested in him or his career. I will give you some money to make you feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that is a small man who has to brag about how rich he is. Does this cover all the messy moments? I think so. Yeah, we're going to venture back into tennis for now. So tell us uh, a little bit about your Grand Slam rankings. So I went back over the last two years of Grand Slam play. The rankings cover the last eight slams. It's something I started around Wimbledon this year, and so I waited until the end of the year to really to finish compiling it. And how the points are allotted, if you make the first through fourth rounds of a slam, you get one, two, three, or four points accordingly. You make the quarterfinals, five, semifinals, six. You're a beaten finalist, you get seven points. And if you win the title, you get eight points. However, there are bonus points that are also allotted. And those are allotted to the quarterfinalists through to the champion. So if you made the quarterfinals, you get an extra one point per result. Semis, two points. If you make the finals, three points. And if you win, four points. So as you can imagine, this wasn't designed to make Serena Williams number one, because given the criteria of two years, she was going to be number one regardless. Mm -hmm. Because she hasn't lost before the semifinals in any event. She's won four slams, lost in two finals, and lost in two semifinals, right? So she was going to win regardless. But more interesting to me is that I find that there there are a few ways that we can then extrapolate and, and look at the overall WTA tour in general and and unearth some really interesting bits. There's going to be a, a handy, nifty little graphic that goes along with this that you can look at for it to make more sense for you. But, for example, with Serena, she made... She won four slams, so that's eight points times four, so that's 32 points. She made two finals, that's 14 points, seven each, so 32 plus 14 is 46. And then she made two semifinals, so that's six points each for 58 points. But then she's left with 26 bonus points because all eight slams she scored bonus points. So she scores 26 to go with the 48, and her total is 84. Without giving away the top four, we're going to give you a second, or you can pause, just to think who the top four would be. Because two of the two of the other three players make perfect sense, and the fourth one was a complete surprise to me. So now that you've paused and you've given it some thought, who's at number two? Kerber, which is obvious. As you mentioned, Muguruza is at three. And the fourth, like you, I was shocked by Madison Keys. Yeah. And so she didn't lose in a second or a third, or sorry, a first or a second round in a major in 2015 and and 16, which is a, a really great sign going forward. And it does show that your model does value consistency. It does. And I don't know if it was designed that way. Because you do have the bonus points to to kind of reward people who have made the second weeks in majors, but it rewards consistency in the majors more than the WTA rankings mm-hmm. does. That was just an observation. It also goes to show, though, that outside of Serena, nobody's really making hay with the bonus points. Because you, you think back to my glory days of tennis in the 90s, 
and the early 2000s where all the top women were making routine quarterfinals where a quarterfinal was like well damn like why isn't she doing Mm -hmm. any better or or even say in the early 2000s you would have you could count on seeing probably both Williams sisters Moresmo, Kleisters, Anna and maybe Celis mm-hmm. in in the final 8 consistently and you don't we don't really have that right now in 2016 for example Kerber was there except for the French Open she lost in the first round but you know she has these first and third round losses kind of sprinkled through the past two seasons when she is one of the most consistent players in majors if i'm reading this correctly right now serena and halep are the only players who've made four quarterfinals of the last eight slams that's crazy to me that that's that's absurd it is granted sharapova had she not been disqualified from tennis and put in tennis prison she probably would have made that stat but her her 2016 Australian Open results have to be clawed back from this list. Azarenka probably would have made that stat as well. Mm-hmm. We don't know the full extent of why she was absent from Wimbledon. Could have been injury, could have been preparing for baby. Right. And then she would have had the US Open, which is pretty much a lock for her to make the quarterfinals if she's got a high seed, right? Oh, yeah. So there have been some extenuating circ- circumstances as to why, you know, we haven't had that across-the-board consistency as far as making quarterfinals in Grand Slams. But it was just really surprising to me. Right. And also, Angelique Kerber, yes, it makes sense that she's number two in these rankings, but over the course of two years of Grand Slam play, had she not won the U.S. Open or gone deep, she might have been number three behind Muguruza. Right. Those first-round losses really, really hurt her there. She's carrying two first-round losses, one at the 2015 Australian Open one at the 2016 French Open, and then three third-round losses. It's uh, It was interesting to me to see that four players, only four players, have won majors over the past two years. And I say only because there has been a time in women's tennis where I think seven or eight players, <laughs> different players, have won majors. You're so full of shit because you what? expected Serena to win all eight of those. Well, I hope. So you can't now then say... <laughs> Oh my god, it's so surprising that there were only four. <laughs> okay. And that's you... like one of the biggest full of shit moments you've ever had. What? <laughs> we see that the US Open has been Serena's weakest tournament in the past few years. And uh, she, I mean, she recently three-peated at that event. I, she's won six, right? It's all relative. Right. I mean, it's only two years. But... For Serena, that has been a tournament where a lot of crazy shit has happened. She's had a lot of crazy pressure at that event as well. Yes. Guess who is number six on these rankings? Who? A 36-year-old grand dame (laughs) of the WTA Tour. Miss Venus Williams is number six. She has 34 points. She's made the fourth round of six of the last eight majors. Which, if you know and you followed Venus's career, where she's coming from post-2011, is crazy. Mm-hmm. And that includes a fourth-round run to the French Open this year, which might be her biggest surprise yet. Right. But, so the point is, if you're looking at her performance at majors, she's performing solidly like a top-ten player. She's sitting at number six in your rankings. And consistently. The same place that Halep is. And... 
I mean, it gives you a little more reason to think, why would she want to retire? <laughs> you know, if she's still happy doing what she's doing, go for it. And people think of her as somebody who doesn't stand a chance of winning slams anymore and that the semifinal was maybe her ceiling at Wimbledon this mm. year. But nobody else is reaching fourth rounds of majors as consistently as she is. The point is, it's very unpredictable in women's tennis right now. Right. Roberta Vinci rounds out your top 10. And that is Not my top 10. solely on the strength of the US Open. Yes. <laughs> Because of her twenty-seven, two in a row. Yeah. yeah, of her twenty-seven points, sixteen of them come from the U.S. Open. Okay. Also in the top ten, who is a little bit surprising, one of the most consistent players, Ekaterina Makarova. Yeah, whose results have really fallen off this year, but she did actually beat Kvitova twice this year. She does have a winning. She's just over five hundred this year. And when you look at the rankings, you'll see the official Grand Slam rankings, and then in parentheses, you'll see their year-end rank. So in terms of people who are performing better at the Grand Slams than on the regular tour events, if you can make that comparison, I'm sure there are other etc. at play that may factor into the, the discrepancy. But Venus is number six, but she's ranked number 17. Makarva is number nine. She's ranked 30. Vinci is 10. She's ranked 18. Sam Stozer is number 13. She's ranked 21. Lucy Shavasheva, she's 13, she's ranked 62. And then on the flip side of that, people who are ranked higher on the WTA and less so on these rankings, Joe Conta, she is number 10 in the world, but 20 on these rankings. Mm. And most surprisingly, but I guess maybe not, Svetlana Kuznetsova, she's world number nine, but she's 33 on this list because... She only has two fourth-round results in the last two years. And those have come at this year's French Open and this year's Wimbledon. Prior to that, it was just a bunch of first rounds and second rounds. Mm -hmm. Caroline Wozniacki would be nowhere near this list. She comes in at 21, but for her semifinal run at the U.S. Open this year, bumped her up to 20 points. Oh, and the other person I'd overlooked, Dominika Sibolkova, she's number five currently, She's done most of her winning at tour-level events, but she's number 18 in these rankings. She has two quarterfinals, the 2015 Australian, and then at Wimbledon this year, and that's it. The other thing I wanted to mention briefly is that there are only five women over the course of the last two years who haven't scored at least one first-round loss in a slam. We mentioned that Kerber has two. The five women who've made it past the first round in every single slam Serena, obviously, Muguruza, Svitolina, Kvitova, and Miss Consistency herself, Madison Keys. Mm -hmm. So look out for that on sportscribe.ca. Jonathan will be publishing that soon. And we are going to move on. I'm on the hot seat now. You ready for your quiz? I am. You were just looking at the paper. What? Did you look? Did you cheat? No, I didn't. Why would you leave it there? This time, James is going to be taking a quiz where I give him a city... And if it's ATP or WTA, and he has to tell me who won that event in 2016. There are going to be six ATP events and six WTA. So it scored out of 12. And I was generous in terms of trying to put a lot of events in this quiz that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. Okay. There's some that you would just need to know if you're going to get them. 
but it, it's it's not a gotcha kind of situation. This is not a Sarah Palin moment. All right. You ready? I'm, yeah, I'm ready. Do I have to give the WTA or ATP? I'm going to tell you. Oh, okay. What do you want first? Whatever. ATP Sydney. Um, Sydney? No idea. Well, l- let me guess. Sydney? I don't even know who played there. Djokovic? Troitsky. Okay. He defended in Sydney this year. I was close. They're from the same country. On the WTA Gauchon? Oh, that's easy. <laughs> Venus Williams. Yep. WTA Brisbane. Brisbane. Um, Sloan Stevens? Girl, we talked about this... Shit. Two weeks ago. What? Two episodes ago. Oh. Vika. Uh, yeah. Azarenka beat Kerber. On the ATP Stockholm. Oh, this rings a bell. I feel like it was somebody's first... Oh, oh, uh, Del Potro. Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. ATP Curios. Jesus. Oh, well, I can tell you what tournament he won. Can I do that? <laughs> <laughs> that was such a massive fail. Wait, you got to give me a point because he won Marseille. Well, he did win Marseille, yes. Won but Marseille. I, was, I was referring to Atlanta. Okay, well, how am I supposed to know when you already gave the answer? Yes, I am so, so dumb. Give me a point for that. <laughs> I cannot believe I did that. On the WTA Madrid. Um, Halep. Yes. ATP Stuttgart. Stuttgart. Um, oh, Dominic Team. How do you remember that? Because we talked about it last week. WTA Mallorca. Hmm. I know who lost at Mallorca. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Um. If you get this, I'm going to be really mad. Caroline Garcia. You are such a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. I knew that. How did you know that? Because I do my homework. WTA Sydney. Sydney uh, Sloan Stevens. Sveta. <laughs> You're thinking of Auckland, man. Okay. ATP Basel. Oh, shit. Uh, I'm used to Roger Federer winning that. Uh, Marin Cilic? Oh, yeah. I'm just going to pull this one out really? of my ass. All right. See, I know things. I'm starting to think you have this one of these weird memories where you just remember all sorts of weird shit. Because I don't have that. Um, yeah, but does that make it less impressive? It means that I have to start making these quizzes harder. I'm trying not to embarrass you on air. Oh, okay. And you just like, oh, I'm so smart. Come on. WTA Dubai. Hmm. Oh, Sarah Ronnie. Mm-hmm. And ATP Washington. Washington. Hmm. John Isner? Gal Malfis. Oh, yep. Now I know. Okay. We, we talked about that last week. So how many did I get? You got nine out of 12. Really? If you factor in the fact that I messed up <laughs> the Atlanta, mm-hmm. would you have gotten it? Honestly. Uh, no. You no. wouldn't have gotten Atlanta? I knew Marseille, but I forgot. You would not it. have gotten Atlanta? No, I forgot Atlanta. We just talked about it last week. I know, but I forgot. You got eight then. Okay. Eight and a half. Let's okay. compromise. You got eight and a half out of 12. And I picked a, another Serb instead of Troisky. Do I get a half for that? No. Okay. Fair enough. How do you feel about that quiz? Did, I feel great. I think did I did you really en- well. Did you enjoy that one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you spend so much time watching Jeopardy, messing around on Sporkle, taking all these quizzes. Yeah. Like, like I'm, this is, I'm ready for quizzes. This is right up your alley. That's why you did. You probably did one of these things on Sporkle already. No, they don't have one for this. <laughs> Breakout players for 2017. We've been talking all year, taking credit for Kerber and Pliskova in particular. Who are the people who, when 
we do this recap episode at the end of next year, if we're still around, that we're going to be like, told you so. Mm -hmm. For me, I want to throw out there, I don't think this will be a big surprise to people who are into tennis. Elena Svitolina is my player to watch over the next year. We mentioned that she has no first-round losses at majors over the past two years. She was the finalist in Zhuhai against Kvitova, and this year she has a very high-profile win over Serena at the Olympics, mm -hmm. as you know. But she also beat Kanta, Muguruza, and Kerber this year. So I'm predicting big things for her in the, in the coming year. Okay. So that's who you've got on the WTA side? Yes. I've got two players. One of them that I think might be a little bit obvious for a lot of folks and the popular pick, Naomi Osaka. Yeah, definitely. I think she'll get there eventually. I think that her age is still a prohibitive factor. Mm -hmm. We just don't see players of her age making those big breakthroughs anymore. So I'm going to hang my hat on that as a predictor and say, well, if it happens, makes sense. If it doesn't, I fully expect it in a couple of years. Okay. Look at Madison Keys, right? She's right. probably the hottest pick for breakout player next year, even though she's made at least the fourth round in damn near every event mm -hmm. in the last two years. Even though she has in grand slams. she's broken out, yeah. but it's reaching that next level, yes. right? It's a lot more incremental in women's tennis these days. And we saw that with Kerber as well. It takes years before you're able to build up to that point. Right. The person who I'm going to pick and who I was very impressed with at least a couple times watching them live, and I've always felt that she's had boatloads of talent, a very accomplished doubles player, very young, very French, Caroline Garcia. Very French. <laughs> <laughs> I think she has the game to make a big dent in women's tennis. I mean, Andy Murray has been calling it for a long time, but we saw those two huge, huge wins in Fed Cup. Mm-hmm. Is that something that kind of no, tipped was, you off? No, it was watching her against, I believe it was Lissicky on court nine in Cincinnati okay. last year. Oh, last year, yeah. Such a joy to watch. And you, <laughs> like Dimitrov, you're like, why isn't this person winning more? Mm -hmm. Who is one of my two picks really? for male breakout player in 2017. Okay. I don't think more needs to be said. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's made a semifinal. I think it was a 2014 Wimbledon. He made a semifinal. Hasn't done much of anything in, in slams. Consistent in the second to fourth round region. Mm -hmm. I I think this is his year. If it's going to be his year, this is it. Okay. And then Hyung Chung. He was one of the young supposed next gen players two years ago or last year. And then he suffered from injury. He's starting to get back his game. I think the Taylor Fritz's. And the Francis Tiafos will be the popular picks. And mm -hmm. the fellow that you're going to pick is going to be one of the popular picks right. to have a breakout year. But I see somebody more like like Chung, who's been there before and is just on the comeback trail. Okay. Yeah, so my pick, uh, it's more of like an Osaka pick. Not, not Svitolina is like closer to that upper echelon. Also, this wasn't a who do you think is hot kind of pick. No. You know that, right? I know. Okay. No, I'm picking Karen Kachanov, who's 20 years old. He's from Russia. And uh, he's just won his first title in Chengdu. He's a big dude. He kind of uh, idolizes Del Potro and Safin, he said. But he moves really well. And he has a really big inside-out forehand and a down-the-line backhand. So 
I've, I've seen a lot of, you know, tennis insiders on Twitter saying like this guy has a really high ceiling, has a lot of talent. So I don't expect him to break through huge in majors next year, but I think he's definitely someone to watch. That was the whole point of this. Oh, okay. <laughs> then I will pick um, Novak Djokovic <laughs> as breakout player of next year. Is that allowed? You can do whatever you want. Okay. You are co-owner of this non-profitable podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We've got two final segments of this finale. The first is see what ha- happened was. And then we're going to end with our shout outs to our regular listeners. I'm going to let you direct this segment because this is this is your bag. Sure. Yeah, I wanted to. I'm excited to revisit our old segment see what had happened was first of all because we haven't done it for a while and i wanted to kind of throw it back to a time when actually a little before i started watching tennis you were watching tennis at the time but it's a little 90s nostalgia because people our age and older just need that in our lives and we bring two different perspectives to this issue because i lived through it you didn't mm-hmm. you're, you're looking at this now having lived through the glory days of the williams sisters you yes. Didn't, you didn't live through their formative days. So this it took place at the 1999 Australian Open, where Venus Williams lost a bead from her hair, and she was docked a point because it was considered a hindrance. And so it's almost quaint that this was a major controversy in tennis at the time, and ESPN devoted an entire segment to it, where we have a whole host of shit to talk about now in tennis. Uh, you know, as far as betting, doping, match fixing, all that stuff. This is about beads. So here's Lindsay Davenport's comments on the issue. Well, you can hear them and you can you can see them a little bit. I mean, you know, fortunately, you know, you, you learn to play the ball, but I'm not going to say it was a, a total distraction, but it is a little annoying, maybe. <laughs> no, I shouldn't have to change for any other circumstances. I like my hair. It's just things flying in the air that you're not supposed to be seeing. So Lindsay Davenport won that quarterfinal match at the Australian Open this year, that year, and the tournament is probably better known as Amelie Moresmo's breakout. It was her first big showing. She made a final and lost to Martina Hingis. That was the same year to where Lindsay stepped in it for her comments about Amelie as well, right? So Lindsay was not doing so well at that tournament. The Lindsay that we know now as one of the best commentators in tennis is not the Lindsay who was spouting off as a player, a young player. Popping off. Popping off. (laughs) Yeah. No, and uh, it's important to remember that she really had Venus's number. That That Lindsay was one of the very top players at that time. And was a really tough out for both Williams sisters. And since, as a commentator, she's gone to bat for Venus and Serena. And I think she has a a really different perspective now that she's not playing. What about that clip is interesting to you? Well, hmm, there's a lot to unpack here. Because they were known for the beads. And that was a real point of interest for journalists and television commentators. And so there's this fascination with black people's hair, white especially people, black women's hair. White people are obsessed with black women's hair. You don't want, even you, you don't mean to load you up on this podcast and, and tell people how many questions you've asked me about black women's <laughs> hair in private. 
And you're like, as I, if I'm some kind like, of I authority. Don't, I don't know. At, yeah, I grew up in Jamaica. Like I grew up around black people. I have a, most of my my female friends are black women. I'm puzzled by white people's incessant curiosity <laughs> with black women's hair. And what it is also confounding to a lot of white people. So. At the time, in the late 90s, the papers were doing puff pieces on the beads, and this was a constant fascination for the mainstream press about the Williams sisters, among other things, among their supposed arrogance and a little bit of indignation about how these young girls could be so brash and confident when it was viewed that they didn't have the accolades yet to back it up. Cough, cough different from the way in which Martina Hingis's brashness and confidence was received. Of course. And it is important to note as well that this was the site of Martina's fifth and final major, which if you were watching the Australian Open in 1999 and someone told you Martina Hingis will never win another major, would you have been shocked? I would have been stunned. Yeah. This was a sea change in tennis. This is when the Davenports, Williams... And then later, Kleisters is going to change the face of tennis and the way that it's played. And Davenport was competitive for damn near a decade after this point. She's somebody yep. who stayed around and was a top women's player for a long time. She was one of the first full-on big babe tennis players. She ushered in this era, right? Mm-hmm. And so the other interesting bit... I should also note that this is from our Twitter friend, Steph in the U.S.'s YouTube account, and we owe her a lot because she has some amazing archival videos from back in the day in tennis. For a couple of years now, she's been tweeting and showing pictures of all these stacks of VH, I was about to say VH1 tapes, VHS <laughs> tapes of old matches, mm -hmm. and she's been transcribing them over the last couple of years. And if you go to YouTube and her account is Mount Girl One, M O U N T Girl One, you'll find just a treasure trove of tennis goodies, including Serena's MTV diary. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. So let's skip ahead to uh, Pam Shriver's little interview with Venus Williams. Venus, obviously everyone from this match are going to be talking about the hindrance rule and the beads. Um, if I can, just very quickly, I want to say what the rule is. It's that if a player hinders his opponent, it can be ruled involuntary or deliberate. In this case, obviously, it was involuntary, meaning you didn't mean to do it. It's either a ball falling out of a pocket, a hat falling off, etc. The first time a let should be called and the player should be told any such hindrance thereafter will be ruled deliberate. First off, the umpire did say something to you after the first few beads fell off? Yeah, he did say something, and I guess he called a let. Okay, now at that point, did it, did it occur to you what might happen, if any more? Did, did you actually think then that you might get a point taken away, or did it not really occur no, to you? No, I didn't really think I'd get a point taken away because it was such a, a minute thing that was happening i mean it's just a bead that's extremely small it's smaller than the nail on the nail on your pinky right so it's very difficult to see and um i just was pretty alarmed by it now of course you, you've worn the bead since you joined the tour and you've had strands fall off before has anything like this ever happened before i've never had a let call i've never had a warning 
I've never really had an umpire advise me on anything because obviously it's something that's involuntary, something that rarely happens and something that's very, that isn't distracting at all. So it was a, definitely a new experience. That's all I can say about it. What do you, I know it's soon after, but what do you think you can learn from it? How can you, obviously you don't want to put yourself through that again, but how, what, what can you learn from it? How can you make sure that uh, it doesn't happen again? Uh, my best bet is just to tie my beads a little bit tighter. So I first watched this last week and it made me so angry. This is the first time you've seen this? I think. I may have seen it years ago, but I, I didn't really remember it. First of all, can we talk about young Venus Williams dropping minute <laughs> when being barraged by fucker from Pam Shriver? Mm-hmm. Right. Keeping her calm and her cool. Like, this is the precursor to a stateswoman in tennis. Absolutely. This is the daughter that Oracine and Richard raised. Mm-hmm. First of all, Pam Shriver, this whole interview was... It was like ushering this young American girl into the interviewing room to sort of pay her dues, take her licks, right? So Pam, first of all, literally lectures her like a school marm about the rule and then has the audacity to define the word involuntary for Venus as if she doesn't know what that means. That's something that jumped. That is, I mean, it may have skipped by you and you didn't notice, and that would be totally normal, but that really jumped out at me. It's condescending and it's rude. And what steps are you going to take to make sure this doesn't happen again? Right. What are you going to do in the future? After we've, you know, after we've established that you did something wrong, how are you going to rectify that in the future? The whole tenor of this interview was. Uh, punitive slap on the wrist know your place right and this this obviously could have gone on behind closed doors but espn chose to air an interview of this i think what you're trying to say is what's the purpose of this interview right because you have a young athlete of great standing a rising star somebody who has lots of press and so it's given the treatment of this big sit-down interview of sharapova being interviewed after being found guilty for doping who is then (laughs) being grilled if if sharapova were grilled by charlie rose the way venus williams was grilled right now Mm -hmm. perhaps we wouldn't have had to sift through all this bullshit on our podcast this year right right this is the issue at hand did not warrant the treatment in my mind no and i mean you're sitting down with a what an she was an 18 year old girl at the time grilling her about her bead falling out i mean just like move on it was just that like in the context of what it was like to be venus williams at that time in tennis was just too much for me in the moment and it helps paint the picture of just how much of pioneers these two women were when people talk about oh they were they were a smack in the face of the tennis establishment, of the Lily White tennis establishment. It was never more apparent visually than these two black women playing with beads mm-hmm. on a tennis court. Right. And so this was a white lash, right? <laughs> this was their version yes. of a white lash yeah. to try and put them back in place. And it, I think it's hard to to understand. Not, like these are cliches at, at this point, right? That they were a slap in the face to the establishment. It's it's hard to remember that 
in real time, that is really ugly and difficult. It's not a cliche when it's actually going on. What Pam really wanted to know was, why are you wearing your hair like that? What's up with your hair? Right. Why can't you be like any other black girl who wears their hair in ways that are identifiable to us white mm. folk? <laughs> I mean, remember when like Flojo dressed and looked a certain way when she was a dominant athlete, had those long nails. She didn't look like an athlete was supposed to look. And so that was a big deal in the way that she was covered. But it was celebrated because she was the ideal of femininity. Mm, she was right. She was the feminine ideal on steroids as an athlete. Uh-huh. Because you don't want your ath- your female athletes too butch, too lesbiany, too abrasive, too challenging to masculinity. Right. Right? And so Flojo was was brilliant. <laughs> but Venus and I Serena... I mean, Venus and Serena were too ghetto. Yeah, and too muscular and too not having it. Mm-hmm. I think the other great tidbit from this video that I didn't actually play was a clip from Venus where she reminded me that she has been this wonderful philosophical person from way, way back. She was asked about the incident and she said, you know, I definitely found it very odd, very disruptive. It's just an experience that happens in life sometimes, I suppose. (laughs) And she's still saying stuff like that. I love it. This is one of my favorite things about Venus. These really broad existential, uh, observations she makes this is something that you'll have to explain to me at some point before one of us dies or leaves each other what why it is that you just ended up being more of a serena fan than venus because venus brings the truth and the wonder to tennis (laughs) fandom there's there's no use fighting amongst william's sisters yeah this is something i've had to accept about you it's just whoever speaks to you more that's that's it (laughs) sometimes you can't put it into words Venus, you're my hero. I love you, girl. (laughs) We're going to end the episode now with a bunch of shout outs. And by a bunch, I mean maybe 50. Because (laughs) we talked about this in the last couple episodes. The feedback that we get from listeners, oftentimes it makes our day. It sustains us through our regular life. It's validating. And we don't always feel like we're able to give that back to you all because we want to know that we see your tweets we see your reviews we appreciate you interacting with the body server account with our accounts on twitter and we were limited in only being able to go back so far with our twitter mentions to kind of parse through and pick out people to shout out on the podcast so if you weren't mentioned by name that's not an oversight we still love you in fact, call us out on the body serve and we'll retweet you. We'll get you on our season opener next year. But we're going to go through and just shout out a whole bunch of people. First off, we're going to start with Tony, who we've met in person at Cincinnati. His Twitter handle is TJC05. And Mr. Tony is one of the biggest credits to tennis Twitter that there is. Tony is hilarious. So funny. I can't tell you how many times Tony tweets something and I'm just cracking up. And it's often (laughs) self-deprecating. Like today, he's a a season ticket holder for the Cincinnati tennis event, right? Mm -hmm. And so apparently he re-upped and they sent him a pair of white shades. Did you see that today? Yes. They sent him sunglasses and he posts, posts a picture 
which is very rare for Tony mm-hmm. because his avatar is not of him. And so he posts a picture of him in these sunglasses and somebody's like, oh, you know, that's such a good look or whatever. And he says, anything that covers most of my face is a good look. <laughs> <laughs> that is rude, Tony. You are so rude to yourself, Tony. And he sent us a calendar. Yes, most important. guess who's January 2017 right? cover girl? I'll be looking at Venus Williams all throughout January. I may just want to live in January all throughout 2017 because I just love this picture of Venus Williams. <laughs> She's cracking up on a court wearing one of her... What would you call that color, Mr. Colorblind? Uh, I would call that sea foam. <laughs> would you agree? It's turquoise. It's not fucking turquoise. (laughs) Anyway, thank you, Tony. We really appreciate it. There's Real Phil, who's been around from the beginning. Thank you. Our second ever review on iTunes US is Real Phil. You've been there from the start. We appreciate you. Ethan Lee, we can count on you all the time to retweet and like, so thank you so much. Dr. Scholes. Hey. We met Dr. Scholes in new york city a year ago a very special time because we took this four-day trip to new york city very spur of the moment to go see miss mariah and her christmas show and she's currently in her third run at the beacon theater right Mm -hmm. now and i entered to win front row tickets this Uh, year we're still waiting to hear didn't win uh but during that trip we're able to to hang out with dr shoals and that was a lot of fun there's Sam, at Samuel said this. Who likes to take us to bed, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Call me. <laughs> and Marseille, Beth P has been around, like, from episode one, like, way, way back. So thank you. At Stuck in Oregon. Nolly, who I have to remind myself that your Twitter handle is Andy Murray backwards. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about every to Every time I look at it, I'm like, what? Yerumi DNA. <laughs> The Big Joker, without fail, within three hours of an episode being released, you have feedback. Mm -hmm. You are dependable, a joy. Punctual. And we know you're looking forward to this quiz because you tweeted about it. Hope you enjoyed it. Dr. Mop, I know you listened to us while you were proctoring an exam the other day, so go ahead. This gave me so much life getting this tweet because we both have masters. We both lived that academic life where we're proctoring exams, being TAs. And the fact that I could picture, picture this, like uh, Sophia Petrillo, Mm -hmm. Dr. Mop sitting down and vigilating an exam and possibly bursting out laughing while some kid is having the worst moment of their life taking this exam. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> was everything yeah, to me make him sweat a little bit peter at tie guy 84 thank you stuff in the u.s we've had you on the show we've talked about you a lot thanks again for your youtube chad cc smooth 13 big venus fan we shouted you out a couple weeks ago nadine johnson at nadcore Susie, who is at pans reed very prominent on twitter Big Roger Federer fan. I'm not here for your avatar, which is a shirtless, very hairy Roger Federer. I find that very offensive, but I do enjoy you and I enjoy following you on Twitter. So thank you. Rob at Nightcheese86 has been around for the long haul. Renee Denfeld, 
big supporter and also the, you know, uh, you know him as the GIF king of Twitter. GIF or GIF? GIF? I don't fucking know. (laughs) (laughs) We got to know Renee a little bit more on Twitter this year. Thoroughly enjoy our back and forth and definitely one of the must follow tennis Twitter accounts. We have a few Catherines, Catherine Shaw and Catherine 10-bit1. Mm-hmm. Catherine Shaw has the word perspicacious in her Twitter handle, which, like, kudos. Kimberly Woodard, we see you. We appreciate you. Kevin Robinson. Kelly Herson. Anna Canada, our fellow Southern Ontarian. Mm-hmm. Met her in Montreal last year, and I ran into her again at Rogers Cup this year, just, you know, above the practice courts. Jan Muzone, who always reminds me of Brother Muzone from The Wire, so thank you. <laughs> Stephen Brown, who's a new listener, who's in New York City. Thank you. Kate Smart, who is based in Australia and is an academic or a teacher or both. And you develop these affinities for people on Twitter and sometimes they don't make any sense or there's no rhyme or reason. But I've always felt that, Kate, you and I should be friends. So (laughs) there's that. Not to be weird or anything. (laughs) Dory, Big Wask 80, been around for a long time. Jan S., who's at Serve for the Match. Uh, you're in Toronto, so we have a new Toronto fan. Lovely drama girl. I adore Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> is that your real name? Beth Crittenden is always around for a retweet, for a tweet of support. So thank you. We is really appreciate all, is it. Is that all you want? A retweet? Is that all she's good no, for? No, no. But we really appreciate it. <laughs> We see you. Grace Onions, you're a new follower to the podcast. From the start, I've imagined that you're related to Graham Onions, who is a English cricketer and a fast bowler for England. So I don't know. Tell oh. me, is he your brother? Is he your nephew? I don't know. That would be pretty awesome. Is there anyone out there who knows what a fast bowler is? It's cricket, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you as well to another new listener, Thierry Cote, based out of Toronto as well. JB at Minerva2BC, longtime listener, always, always interacting with us. Thank you so much. Yvette S., who I see on Twitter, and I think she's a, a fan of our friendly rival podcast as well, Reels Tennis Fans, mm-hmm. right? And I think she's Jamaican, which we have that in common as well. Mm. So thank you for supporting podcasts in general. Fabian Irigineza, I don't know if I pronounced that properly. But we've DM'd a few times. You are all up on the pop culture. You are on our TV stuff like White and Rice. And he's been trying to make our dog famous. So yes. thank you. We've we... been trying to make our dog income generating. And it's really not working. Like he's more of a, let's say, a liability rather than an asset. <laughs> <laughs> Fabian tweeted out this thing with, uh, what was it? A famous dogs or yeah. dogs of famous people. Mm-hmm. Oh no, or dogs that I follow on right. on Twitter or Instagram or something. Yeah. And there was Serena and Chip. There were a couple others, and then there was uh, like Lena Dunham's dog. Mm-hmm. And then there's our dog. There's Vince the Beagle. Like, okay. Which hey, Vince's Instagram account is Vince the Beagle. So check him out. And it's on point because he is bitchy as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of on point, on match point. Yeah. She also has a great Instagram of her dog. Mm-hmm. Voodoo SJ, been around for a long time. Thank you. Cree, I have to say, Cree changed her Twitter handle to caffeinated Cree, but it used to be Poo in Baby, which is 
hilarious. Mm-hmm. And Cree, you warned me earlier this year that the Serena fandom was going to come for me, and they didn't. So I've survived. <laughs> uh, don't speak too soon, because <laughs> they can be sent for. I'm sure I will step in it again at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Jamika Joe has been around for a long time, has been a long time supporter. So thank you. We commiserate about all sorts of shit on Twitter. Maya E, thank you for your support. Chewy Yorkie, who spent some time in my hometown of Rochester. Michelle Jabor, who is uh, our favorite Montréalais. Who won our only body serve giveaway to date. <laughs> he did, yes. At the end of your la- Sometime in January, we did a giveaway regarding our TV episode, I think. And he won uh, a season of TV DVD. Thank you to Dennis TMDC. I really want to find out what that stands for. Thank you to Sharon Gaskin, True Blue, Political Rat, who wrote a nice thing today. We really appreciate that. Our South African friend, Velvet Rope. Hey. Oh, I see you. I see you very clearly. What? Because before we started this recording, you were like, how do I pronounce that? How do I pronounce? And you just skipped past the first name. I did. I'm not going to fuck it up. I assume it's Lefefe. I'm not sure. So, Mr. Velvet Rope. Why would you try if you don't know? Fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. Can you let us know how you pronounce that? Please do. You are kin to me. You are Lamely. Adam Hamoud, a relatively new listener to the podcast. Thank you. Pablo Byrne, Sean Ingram, Kimberly Matt, and Kirsty Poole. And finally, Russ O'Neary. And just a shout out to our friends IRL. There's Agnes and Meg, who are both from London, who have been... London, Ontario. You have to tell people. In Canada, you know that that's in Ontario. But from London, Ontario, Agnes doesn't live there anymore. But they have both been huge, huge supporters, like, from the jump. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much. Um, a few of my my friends from way, way back in the day, the Dennett's, husband and wife, the Labarkas, husband and wife, and your friend from Bacayad. Who I wasn't even friends with in high school. Oh, girl. But we've connected since. Since we both yes. became expats Von, in Toronto. Von Stafford Greer. Affectionately known as Staffy. <laughs> Shout out as well to another of our in real life friends, Dalbert Villarino, our artiste friend, who didn't know a whole lot about tennis when we started this whole thing, but has shown an immense curiosity in supporting us over the last two years. And finally, to the people who have been on the podcast, all of you have been really supportive of the podcast before and since you've been on so thank you to frith down in australia michael lewis of course stuff in the u.s caitlin thompson who has seen a lot of well-earned success with racket magazine and Lindsay gibbs we've deliberately not had guests on the show in a while because we are not too proud of the audio quality <laughs> of some of the episodes with guests and we've always prided ourselves on the the, the audio standard yeah. of our show, right? We are taking steps to fix that. We're going to maybe buy a, an audio mixer this Christmas. And hopefully in 2017, season three, we will have lots of exciting guests for you in the new year. Mm-hmm. We are investing 
in non-current assets for you <laughs> financial people. And we are not quite finished shouting out because we got to give credit to the folks who birthed us. To our parents, especially. Oh, literally. Literally. Especially both our mothers, Miss Joanne and Miss Michelle. Yeah. I mean, talk about like the biggest supporters you could possibly have. They listen. They think we're funny. They think we sound like ourselves. So that's the best compliment that we can get, really. So thanks, moms. <laughs> and thanks to everyone, everyone who like made it through that segment. I'm sorry if it was boring, but we feel really grateful for the people who have stuck around and helped us kind of continue this body serve journey. I hope if you stuck around, you heard your name. If you didn't, apologies. If you feel like you should have been there, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> this is our season finale, and we are done with tennis for the year, for sure. But we still have one more episode. Partly because I'm obsessed with symmetry and things being equal in my life. And we had 32 episodes in season one. This is episode 31 of season two. We have one more to make it even. And that's going to be our big Gilmore Girls TV episode. We ended 2015 with our first TV episode. This is going to be our third TV episode. And it's going to be all Gilmore Girls. Well... I'm going to drop in some TV that I forgot to mention in the first episode, but most mostly Gilmore mm -hmm. Girls. <laughs> so if you have any ideas, any thoughts about the revival, let us know and we might slip it into the episode. But thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking with us for two years. Two years. That's crazy. Right? Dos años. Where did that come from? I don't know. <laughs> it means two years. <laughs> We are the Body Serve at the Body Serve on Twitter. I'm James at Elliot JMR. I'm Jonathan at Sportscribe CA. And we're going to go out and have a drink and some food and toast to our season finale. And we will see you soon. Till next time. <laughs>